This is Ed Cashmark, the Everyday Economist, keeping my eye on the economy every day for you, with no bluster, no bias, and no bull. May 14, 2020. Just a quick note here before I get started. Yesterday I mentioned that one thing you could do to uh, stay sane during unemployment is to uh, watch new TV shows, and one of them I mentioned was called Curiosity. It is not Curiosity, it is called Curiosity Stream. So for those Comcast customers, and I think I think there are some other <clears throat> some other cable uh, cable services that uh, provide Curiosity Stream. That's the name of it, Curiosity Stream. So just wanted to clarify that. But uh, a ton of really uh, interesting shows on there if you want to check them out. All right, today's economic releases. First of all, we'll just take a quick look at import and export prices and. Import prices were down 2.4% in March from the prior month. The forecast for April was a 3% decline. Actual, it was 2.6% decline. Uh, export prices were down 1.7% from the prior month in March. Forecast for April was 2.3% decline. Actual was 3.3% decline. So worse than last month and worse than expected. Import prices year over year were down 4.2% in March, forecast to be down 7% in April, actual was 6.8% decline, and export prices uh, were down 3.8% in March year over year, forecast was for a 5.7% decline, and actual was a 7% decline. So with export prices falling far more than import prices, that's not good for uh, our domestic economy. Turning now towards uh, initial jobless claims, the prior week was revised from 3.169 million up to 3.176 million. The forecast for this most recent week ended May 9 uh, was for 2.5 million and actual was 2.981 million, so far more than was expected, unfortunately, but still less than uh, the prior week. So that's a tiny little sliver of good news there. Minnesota, the most recent data shows for May 13, 7,026 applicants, and for the prior week was, eight, or for the prior Wednesday was 8,560 applicants. So it's down from the from the prior week, and it's down significantly from the peak of. 32,170 applicants on March 18th. So definitely seeing a slowdown in initial jobless claims for Minnesota. Okay, and now just a quick note on oil. Oil was up about 10% today as the International Energy Administration forecast lower global oil supply in the second quarter, in the second half. And gas demand appears to be rebounding as states start to reopen their economies. Uh, interesting notes here. April U.S. gasoline deliveries fell by 31% from March, the most on record. Demand was 5.7 million barrels a day, the lowest since January of 1972. Gas Buddy says that there was a 22% increase in gasoline demand in, in, the, in, the, in the last week of April compared to the week of April 5 to April 11, which was... I believe the the low. 
Gas prices are on the rise, up about $0.10 a gallon in the past week, and gas prices could return to around $2 a gallon on a national average basis by the end of May. So look for gas prices to start going up again, but uh, still they're going to be quite low compared to where they were prior to the pandemic. Now the stock market today was very interesting. It was just all over the place. It was down huge by about 458 points on the Dow early due to uh, the uh, terrible data on jobless claims and continued tensions with China about the virus and uh, and trade too. And then there was a huge rebound and the market closed up 377 points. So I'm assuming that since there doesn't really seem to be any uh, real big news in terms of what caused that rebound, I'm assuming there's probably some technical support that was hit and people just thought that stocks were too oversold. So uh, investors jumped back in and started buying battered stocks, I guess is about really the best way to, to explain it. But uh, a little bit more data on unemployment claims. Unemployment was, uh, we've seen 39 million people so far uh, apply for unemployment claims since the pandemic started, and that includes self-employed and, con- and contractors uh, which uh, were not uh, previously eligible for unemployment benefits. And currently we have 22 million people on continued claims. So of the 30, 39 million people, 22 million are still are still uh, 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 getting benefit checks. So that means about 17 million people that have claimed initially have gone back to work. So that's... Um, or have gone back to work or started getting more pay or, or, or you know, pay uh, from their employers again as opposed to reduced wages or whatever. But to say that 17 million people have gone back to work, well, that's a lot, I guess, you know. So we'll have to see how that uh, impacts the employment report for May. Nonetheless, it's good news. Uh, some states are under-reporting claims, though, due to old equipment and staff overwhelm, which have made it very difficult for them to deal with all of the applications that have been coming in, so they might actually be somewhat behind. Uh, so the data may be a little bit uh, unreliable. And Goldman Sachs is forecasting uh, an unemployment rate of uh, up to about 25% now from their previous estimate of 15%. It's at 14.7% right now. And so they're saying they're looking at a possible 25% unemployment rate and that of course would rival the Great Depression and that may have been one other reason why the market was down early uh, that's just a uh, startling just to read it it's just startling but again I'm not surprised because I saw this coming you know uh, many weeks ago so let's hope we don't get there let's hope we don't get there all right uh, just a few notes from the Financial Times. We have uh, in the in Europe uh, investment plunge investment plunge raises growth fears. Investment in the eurozone has plummeted in recent weeks, creating a drag on the continent's economy that economists warn is likely to last even after companies and workers emerge from coronavirus lockdowns. Across the region, capital expenditure has contracted sharply, while borrowing to invest has dropped across the eurozone, reflecting businesses, rising cash, and plummeting output. 
The proportion of Eurozone banks reporting demand from businesses to take out loans for long-term investments fell to a balance of minus 15% on net in the first quarter from zero in the previous three months. So that says more banks on net are, are reporting uh, slower demand for loans. In contrast, demand for working capital surged to a net balance of 26% from zero in the previous quarter as businesses sought, to ca sought cash to cover regular payments such as rents and wages. Globally, foreign direct investment is forecast to drop by up to 40% in 2020 compared with the previous year. The following business investment comes despite companies' need to spend money on adapting to the new social distancing measures as their economies begin to open, reopen. Companies are also facing pressure to diversify production and reshape their supply chains, in particular bringing products and services that were previously sourced abroad back on shore, a trend that should also drive an uptick in investment. More than half of global finance leaders are planning to develop additional sourcing options. Now a note about the WHO. The WHO warns that the virus will take years to control. It will be four or five years before COVID-19 is under control, the WHO's chief scientist predicted yesterday. Well, uh, just a quick note, remember how the WHO handled this pandemic in, at the outset, so, you know, you can trust the WHO as much or as little as you want. Um, who knows how bad it's going to be and how long it's going to last, but the WHO is saying four to five years. The vaccine seems for now the best way out, but there were lots of ifs and buts about its efficacy and safety, as well as its production and equitable distribution. A vaccine could also stop working if the virus changed. It says only smallpox has been eliminated and eradicated as a human disease. And uh, countries should be thinking in terms of years, not months. Not all countries have chosen to, impo to impose strict social distancing measures, however. Sweden has been a notable outlier as one of the few European countries that has not imposed a lockdown. However, as I mentioned a couple days ago, Sweden has uh, a higher death rate per, per million people than some of its neighboring countries. So it's, uh, it looks like uh, it wasn't such a great idea to not lock down. We'll see how it turns out for them in the longer run. Commercial mortgage debt investors are braced for sharp jump in delinquencies. Investors in U.S. commercial mortgage-backed securities are bracing themselves for losses as the coronavirus pandemic forces owners of malls, hotels, office towers, and other properties to skip payments. More than $45 billion of mortgage loans bundled into U.S. commercial mortgage-backed securities are overdue and were in so-called grace periods in April. Forecast that 10% of mortgages in U.S. CMBS deals could fall into delinquency in May if those in their grace period continue to go unpaid. In April, that share was less than 2%. So five times increase uh, in, in the number of delinquencies in May. That could happen. Details on loan payments that have fallen behind, including those that are less than one month past due, are being closely followed by investors looking to understand the damage inflicted by the closures and the shelter-in-place orders that have been imposed as U.S. officials attempted to curtail the spread of the virus. The grace periods cover mortgages that are less than 30 days as late, that are less than 30 days late, as well as payments that have not yet been collected by the time the mortgage service issues its month report to investors. Since March, hotel bookings have collapsed, while restaurants and retailers and suburban strip malls and shopping centers have closed their doors. So this is basically, to me, saying we better be braced for a financial impact uh, on, the, uh, on the economy here, uh, remember that the financial crisis uh, kind of started with the banks 
well, now this, this crisis started with a virus, which led to clo uh, closures, which has led to delinquencies, which is now going to be affecting the banks. And that will more than likely affect how much money they, they lend out and at what rate. So, <clears throat> you know, this could, uh, this, I don't want to say it, but there's a possibility that we could find ourselves in a financial crisis soon if things don't improve because of all of these uh underlying issues in the investments uh, that banks hold and other investors too that are under that are uh, seeing deterioration in the securities that under underlie or the, the assets that underlie those securities just like the collapse in 2007 and 8 okay and let's see here what else is there well, uh, U.S. property, Americans are expected to return to their offices in some form over the next few weeks or months. S&P has already noted an uptick in delinquencies on commercial mortgage-backed securities in April, which I just talked about. Rental properties account for 40% of loans behind schedule, the largest subsector. But the sharpest increase comes from hotel loans, whose proportion of the total delinquent loans is up from 8% to 18%. So, not good news there in the hotel industry. Okay, just one quick note here from Delta. They are retiring their entire fleet of 18 Boeing 777 aircrafts by the end of the year. That's a shocking development. They're just, they're parking them. They're going to lose a lot of money. The stock is down 67.1% since the pandemic started. Just incredible. Another article here says that pain is coming for the housing market. People are keeping their homes off the market. They don't want potentially infected people in their house. Previously listed homes are still on the market, which is preventing people from putting their homes on the market to compete with what's already on the market. Falling appraisals, trickier lending environment, and the glut of vacation rentals to sell are all also issues that could weigh on the market. That could be more diff it could make it more difficult to get a mortgage as people fall behind on their payments. Um, and there's a significant tightening of lending standards uh, by banks. So if you're thinking about getting a mortgage, I'd say get it now because it might be tougher to get a mortgage as standards increase and, and, and people lose their jobs and fall behind on their payments and things like that. So uh, I'm not sure how tough it is to get a mortgage now, but it sounds like it's probably going to be tougher in the, in the next uh, month or two. Uh, just a quick uh, read here on a study by the University of Minnesota. The University of Minnesota uh, uh, uncovering the potency and evasiveness of the COVID-19 virus. And it says, Typically, when a virus de develops mechanisms to evade immune responses, it loses its potency to infect people. First, during its limited exposure time, the tip of the viral key, the tip of the viral key grabs a receptor protein on human cells quickly and firmly. Second, the pre-activation of the viral key allows virus to more effectively infect human cells. Lee, the person who is re leading the study, says that recognizing the evasiveness of SARS-CoV-2 is important for designing antibody drugs and vaccines. Antibody drugs would need to overpower the tip of the hidden viral key by latching onto it very quickly and tightly during its limited exposure time. Alternatively, drugs can target other parts of the viral key that are more exposed. Lee recommends that successful antiviral strategies will need to consider both the potency of the virus and its evasiveness. thought that was kind of interesting. 
University of Minnesota is doing a ton of research on this virus. So thanks to them. And a quick note about the Thrift Savings Plan, which is the Military Retirement Fund, has $700 billion in assets, and $50 billion of that money could be invested in stocks of Chinese state-owned companies, some of which would build ships, planes, conduct espionage, and oppress the Chinese people. In other words, U.S. soldiers' retirement accounts are funding an adversary. And there is a state representative, or there's a someone in Congress is trying to pass a bill to to uh, stop that from happening. So good for him on that. Some quick notes from a, a video on personal finances. Uh, a George Washington University professor of economics suggested a few things that you can do for your personal finances. Number one, learn what the government is doing to help people, uh, such as suspend payments on credit cards, mortgages, student debt, and auto insurance. Auto insurance, I don't think it's suspended, but you can check with your company to possibly get a refund or a, or a discount or a, a credit. Uh, two, you could create a budget. Three, protect your credit score. Four, watch out for fraud and scams. And five, manage your debt. All good things. Uh, article on consumer spending said that credit card debt saw the biggest percent decline in three decades uh, recently. Not sure what time frame that was for. Uh, savings rates are the highest since the Reagan era. No V-shaped recovery if consumers keep their wallets closed. Consumers don't care about the economy. They're just trying to do what's best for themselves. And the passage of time can turn liquidity problems into solvency problems, which is kind of what the Federal Reserve Chairman was talking about yesterday. Now I saw an interesting, uh, this was a, a, a quick podcast that talked about music venue closings in the UK. Um, to all my music friends out there, listen up. This could be coming our way in the United States. Hopefully not, but it might be. The Music Venue Trust in the UK, uh, which is uh, uh, kind of uh, and monitors and analyzes the music industry in the UK, did a study, said that 82% of UK live music venues are at risk of closing permanently by the end of May. 82%. Wow. Now, my only thing that I worry a little bit about with this survey is that they could be biasing their answers to make it seem like it's worse in the hopes of getting help from the government. But I'm 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 going on the I'm going on the assumption that the vast majority of them are probably telling the truth. So even if it's even if it's like half, even if it's like half of those people, you're still looking at forty to fifty percent of live music venues that are at risk of completely going out of business. And it says that 140,000 people are working in the music business in the UK, and they've had no income since since March, and now they're looking at the possibility of completely losing their jobs. The UK Music, which UK Music, which is a lobbying group, uh, is pushing for help for musicians from the government. There's no similar survey for the US, but it's likely somewhat similar in terms of how many music venues in the US are at risk of going out of business. Uh, it's very important for musicians to plan for their future right now. Uh, plan for playing f uh, either fewer gigs or gigs with fewer or no fans. Of course, I don't know how you could do a gig with no fans. That would just not even be possible, really, because um, the bar venue wouldn't make any money. And uh, But uh, expect that the fans coming out, uh, crowds might be quite thin at first as people are reluctant to come out um, due to, obviously, health concerns for quite some time.
Who knows? This will be interesting to see what happens. When they finally open up, Are they, is it going to be a massive rush or is it going to be a slow trickle? And maybe fans won't even have a choice because their governments might say, well, we'll we're going to allow you to open back up but only have 10 or 20 or you know, percent capacity or 25% capacity or whatever the case may be. So it might be a situation where even if people want to go back and throng out to the, the venues, they won't be able to. And I wonder if that might actually lead to higher costs to get into some of these venues because if the venue needs to make money and the band needs, needs to make money and there's fewer, you know, capac less capacity, i.e. less fewer people are allowed in, so that's kind of a, uh, a reduction in supply for the entertainment ticket, then, you know, a reduction in supply usually means a rise in prices. So it'll be interesting to see what the, how, that, how that works, not only for music venues, but also all kinds of venues, theaters, you know, operas, uh, concerts, sporting events. I mean, I wonder if uh, you're going to see higher prices because some, only, if, only a certain amount of people are going to be allowed in. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. All right, on to some notes now from uh, uh, a webinar I watched today, which was talking about the outlook for the auto industry. And I'm just going to go through some charts here and pick out some things that I thought were interesting. Uh, consumer sentiment plunged massively from about 100 in March to 71.8 in April. That's from the University of Michigan. And real, real disposable personal income also plunged from about 2% year-over-year growth in February to basically flat in March. Advanced retail sales uh, plunged 8.3% in March from the previous month. Just a massive decline. Uh, light vehicle sales show a comparison between 2016 and 2020. For January and February, pretty much on par. For March, it was 17.3 million units, uh, seasonally adjusted annualized rate of sales in the United States for light vehicle sales. It was 17.3 million in 2016, and in, in March of 2020, it was 11.7 million, so a big decline. And for April, it's a little over 16 million in 2016, and in April for 2020, it's expected to be, or it was 8.6 million, so cut in half. So that's an interesting comparison. And they're talking about incentive spending. Incentive spending was actually uh, higher than uh, 2019 for January, February, and March, and just exploded in April. So obviously dealers are trying to get people out to buy cars and trucks. Uh, this was interesting. U.S. light vehicle sales fell to 10.4 million units in 2009 at the at the height of the of the recession but for 2020 they're only expecting a decline down to 12.6 million units from 17 million units in, in 2019 and then a bounce back up to 15 15.1 million units in 2021 so they're not expecting sales to fall as much as it did in the recession of, of 2009 which I find quite interesting hmm we'll see how that pans out uh, let's see here. Um, it doesn't matter what part of the income scale you're at, the bottom third, the middle third, or the top third, all three income uh, tiers show that people are much more concerned about health than they are about 
isolation or finances, although the bottom third are more concerned about finances than the middle third. But interestingly, the top third is more concerned about finances than the middle third. How in the world could that be? I mean, I guess I suppose, you know, if you're if you're a billionaire or a multimillionaire, you know, <laughs> you lose money in the market, you're losing a lot of money. As opposed to somebody who's, you know, making an average income, they're not really losing a lot of money. They're having problems with their household finances, but they're not probably so worried about, you know, losing money in the stock market so much. Interesting insight there. What else do we have here? Industrial production plunged 5.4% in March from the, pre the previous month. It's just a huge decline. Industrial production of autos fell, oh my gosh, 36.1% in March from the previous month. That is just a devastating collapse. Uh, what else here? Imports, total, total trade, including both imports and exports, was down. Let's see, this looks like it's quarters. It was down 4.1% in the, looks like the first quarter. No, 4.1% in the fourth quarter of 2019. The first quarter of 2020 down 12.6%. That's total trade. So big impacts on, on trade from the virus. Alright, mm, moving on, he, this guy has a lot of uh, interesting charts on the economy, not just on, uh, not just on the auto industry, uh, what else here? Uh, that's it for that one, okay. On the next one, there's three guys who presented here. Let's see. Um, light vehicle sales. This guy says the light vehicle sales are expected to go from 17 million units last year to 12.9 to, to million units this year. Looks like he's kind of using the same forecast as the other guy. But North American share of light vehicle sales is expected to continue to go up. Looks like it was about... 76%, no, about 77, 77.5% last year, expect to go to 78% this year, 78.5% next year, and then by 2022, 80%. So even though production is down, uh, or sales are, are expected to be way down, the U.S. light vehicle share is expected to be continuing to go up. says, rising mix of North America-built vehicles will be more advantageous to U.S. assembly plants than those in Mexico or Canada. Okay. Looks like uh, expecting a big decline in the second quarter for light vehicle sales from about 4.3 million units. In the pre-virus forecast was for 4.3 million units in the second quarter. Now the current forecast is for about 2.5 million units, so it's been almost cut in half. It uh, should be about 3.2 million units in the third quarter, which is about half of what they expected. Uh, or no, it was about 
uh, 75% of what they expected in the third quarter before the virus hit. And then uh, as time goes on, getting closer to pre-virus forecasts. So they're expecting a seasonally adjusted annualized rate. The, the bottom is going to be the second quarter. And then by about the third quarter of 2021, they're expecting it to be back to where it was um, in the first quarter of 2020. So it's going to be a long slog back, but eventually we'll get back there. Uh, let's see what else has he got here. Uh, plant North America plant utilization was at 100% capacity from about 2013 through about 2018, slid to, to about 80%, or slid to about uh, 90% in 2019, and expected to be about 80% in 2020, and then bouncing back up in 2021. And he has some some thoughts on uh, on demand and supply, and I'm not going to go through all those. They're interesting, but it's too much to share on a podcast. <laughs> all right, and let's see. One more presentation. Uh, this is interesting. This guy shows a chart that shows... 65.6% of economists are expecting the economic recovery to start in the third quarter as opposed to only 3.3% in the second quarter and 19.7% in the fourth quarter. So I found that interesting. And the uh, production challenges are accuracy from top to bottom, accuracy of customer startup times, accuracy of customer release volumes. In other words, how... I think that what that means is how fast people come back into the showrooms. Shelter-in-place mandates interfering with restart, availability of PPE, the threat of contamination disrupting or causing supply outages, and it goes from there. But the, the two major ones are accuracy of customer startup times and accuracy of customer release volumes. And he says that uh, many hourly... This is interesting. Many hourly... Employees deferred to stay home, deferred to stay home to collect unemployment based on new stimulus proposal rather than coming to work. So there's that uh, uh, moral hazard again, uh, in terms of, you know, the government putting together a program that actually incentivizes people to not work. Not good. Not good. And it says they're using paid volunteers for now. It says we have procedures in place to operate safely according to guidelines. To date, no supplier has indicated an issue to supply us. Major disruption is major disruption is the customers' release schedules. Other concerns are disruptions due to unknowns. So it looks like the production. Let's see here. Oh. Production was, was far ahead of the break-even point from 2010 all the way up to now, but that gap is narrowing, um, obviously, as production has been ground to a halt for a while here. So they don't have as much of a cushion now as they did before. And let's see here, what else does he have? 
What is your greatest internal risk in meeting customer production requirements? Lead times, labor issues, and production issues are the main things. What is your greatest supply chain risk in meeting customer production requirements? Timing delays, input good shortages, and quality issues were, and, and financial distress were the, the top ones. Uh, let's see here. What else does he have? One, uh, one in five respondents of a survey think that the R&D impact will last longer than 12 months. In other words, what's the virus impact on research and development? And 20% of respondents think it will last longer than 12 months. Only 4% respondents expect no reduction or delay to development projects. Let's see what else here. And okay. What are your biggest challenges and opportunities as the industry prepares for a battery electric vehicle future? Uh, new customers and technologies are driving innovation. Uh, program profitability. We are currently capitalizing on BEVs. BEV programs are changing the way we do business and so on and so forth. But those are the biggest challenges that they're finding as the industry prepares for a battery electric vehicle future. Let's see here. All right. All right, that's it for that. So that was kind of a, a whirlwind tour of what's going on with the auto industry. Okay, and now we will move on to an uh, update on the coronavirus. Nothing really much to share today. The death rate for the world was 6.73% yesterday, down slightly from the day before. Growth rate in fatalities was 1.8%, down slightly from the day before. And for the United States, the death rate was 5.96%, uh, which is up from the day before. And I do believe that is the highest we've seen yet. Yes, it's the highest since the pandemic started. So while we were starting to see some improvement, now it's starting to move back up again. And the growth rate in fatalities was 2.1% up slightly from the day before. Uh, but still pretty close to the very low end of the recent range. So that's good news. And uh, yesterday I, I uh, did not have a forecast for the United States going out to August 4. Uh, so I have that today. If we take the seven-day moving average of the growth rate and fatalities, which is 1.9%, extrapolate that out to August 4, we would have... 399,107 fatalities, and the IHME model is showing 147,000. So, uh, again, that's just a simple extrapolation, not necessarily saying that's going to happen, but just to say that 147,000 fatalities by August 4th, as forecasted by the IHME, is most definitely not out of question. Okay. And we're now on to my tip number 24 for how to stay sane during unemployment. Tip number 24 falls under the third commandment of learn new thing or try new things. Tip number 24 is try new radio shows. <laughs> okay, who listens to radio anymore? I don't know. Uh, I, I know that Sirius XM is free right now for, for some people or maybe all people. I, I think it's free for everyone. You can just try it out. 
I've actually never listened to Sirius XM radio. Maybe I should try it out. But um, there's obviously a lot of online radio stations, but in terms of actual radio stations like you would listen to in your car, I, I only listen to one. I only listen to two radio stations: the jazz station and the classical music station. That is it. And I have you know my collection of CDs in my car. And uh, other than that, you know, I don't I don't listen to radio. But if you like radio and you're looking for something to take your mind off of unemployment or depression or mental health issues or anxiety or fear or whatever the case may be, try to try a new radio show. Maybe that'll uh, maybe that'll lift your spirits a little bit or at least keep you occupied for a little while and keep your mind off of all the other things in your mind. That's all I have for today. Again, if you enjoy what you're listening to, please subscribe or follow me. Please spread the word to your family, friends, neighbors, and relatives. If I have new followers, I will share them on my podcast, so please do follow, and I'll mention you on my podcast. Also, you can listen to previous episodes for my previous tips on how to stay sane during unemployment and other interesting things from the economy and around the world. And I do want to mention some big news. My podcast is now available on Spotify. So if you've been listening to my podcast on other platforms and you really want it on Spotify, it is now available for you. So tell that to all your family, friends, neighbors, relatives. Say, hey, the Everyday Economist podcast is now on Spotify. Add it to your playlist. Add it to your favorites. All right, and tomorrow we have uh, a, a wave of economic information coming out that we'll be talking about. Retail sales, empire state manufacturing, industrial production, business inventories, consumer sentiment, and the JOLTS report, which is a job openings and labor turnover survey. That's all I have for today, folks. This is Ed Cashmark, the Everyday Economist. Stay safe and stay sane. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day.